All right. Go ahead and take your Bibles tonight and turn to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. It's good to have you here tonight. It's good to see Daniel here, JJ's brother, right? Come all the way up from Tennessee, right? And Desiree and Silas, right? Got it. And then everybody else, you're glad you're here as well. Um, I mentioned this a little before, and if you see me blinking a lot, I'm apologizing ahead of time because uh, we split and cut wood all day today, me and Brian and Josh, and had the boys out there helping us, and I got something stuck in my eye, and I cannot get it out. I have no idea what it is or where it is, but it won't come out. So it's one of those things, it's just, you know, it feels like somebody's stabbing a knife in your eye, and you just want to, you know, pull it out, but you can't. So... <laughs> I don't know what happened. Hopefully, it'll come out eventually on its own, but it's not out right now. So, Proverbs 23, if you see me blinking a lot and sniffing and everything else, it make, you know how when you get something in your eye, it makes your nose run and your eyes water and everything. So, we'll try to keep it in, under control at least a little bit tonight. But Proverbs 23 and verse number 15, the Bible says this, My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reins shall rejoice, my heart shall rejoice, when thy lips speak right things. Let, that, let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long, for surely there is an end, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Now he goes on, and he's given a lot of advice to his son, and he continues into verse 26. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. And he talks about a lot of different things in there, um, but, you know, the important thing about this tonight, and we're going to, you know, we're, we're obviously talking about the family and have been for, for, for a few weeks, and we'll probably continue on the family through the end of, of January and uh, touch, uh, touch a few different things, but we've all been in sports or knew somebody who was in sports, I'm sure, that, uh, but we can all relate. But I've been on a field or on a court where parents on the other team or maybe even a parent on your own team just berates their son. What are you doing? You know better than that. You take the ball on it. And, you know, the whole time this parent is just yelling at their child in front of everybody, trying to make them do the things that they want them to do. And, and I think a lot of times, and this doesn't really have much to do with it, but, you know, I think a lot of times what happens is parents are trying to live through their children. They didn't achieve the things that they wanted to achieve in their career or whatever else, so now they're going to make their kids fulfill those things through them. I think that's what happens a lot of times and why parents maybe get so difficult on, on, or get so tough on their kids. But, uh, you know, you do it wrong again, and I'm going to sit you on the bench. I'm going to make sure that coach never plays you again, you know, and, and just it's one thing. I mean, it's bad enough when it's coming from the coach, but when it's coming from a parent who is on the sideline and hollering these things at their children while they're out there playing, uh, it's just, you know, it, that, that's not a good situation. Of course, there's been times as I've watched that the kid, you know, couldn't even have been older than five or six years old. And here the parents just hollering at him like this, you know. And I was, I coached, I, I mean, not coached, I did coach, but I ref soccer for a couple years. And, and uh, just some of the things that the parents will say to the kids on their own team and their own kids is just, it's just amazing to hear them talk to them that way. And, uh, you know, but as, as the practice or the game, wherever this happens to be, goes on, so does the criticism. And you can see the little boy's shoulders just start to, you know, slump more and more. And so does their motivation. And, you know, it's hard to judge that father because at times we've all been critical of our children. Maybe not to that extreme. Um, but I've never seen that motivate kids to excel. 
the extreme harsh. And, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Our, our, our goal should not be to raise just good kids. Our goal should be to raise great kids. And I don't, want, I don't want them to grow up and be just average. I want them to grow up and be everything that they can be for God. And that's why, you know, that's, that's where we sh- should help them strive. And, and, and sports is important. I mean, sports can teach them a lot of good, valuable lessons for life. Um, and, and so that's, you know, I mean, we have our, our boys in sports. Riley will be in sports when she gets old enough to be on the teams that they have, at, you know, at the school that they're at. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But what I want to do tonight is give you some spiritual ideas mixed with some very practical ideas on how we can help our kids go from good to great. So here's the first thing, and, and we're going to look at a few verses in here. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. We'll get there in just a couple of minutes. But here's number one. Understand the difference between challenging and criticizing. Understand the difference between challenging and criticizing, and there's a fine line between the two. A challenge builds confidence, and your kids need to be challenged, by the way. If they're, if they've never, if they're never challenged to do more and to do better, then they're going to be the same that they always are, and they'll never grow into what they can be. Um, you know, you can do this. I've seen you do this a lot of times before. That's, that's a challenge, you know? Um, concentrate a little bit harder. We need to take a break and come back so you can try it again. Those are things that are challenging to them uh, versus criticizing them, and that, that typically erodes their confidence. Come on, I've told you how to do this 500 times. Now do it right, you know? And sometimes they need that. I'm not saying that we should never say things like that, you know? What are you, stupid? You know? Uh, that's criticizing. That's not challenging. Um, you're just being dumb. You know how to do this, Right? Uh, that's criticizing, that's not challenging, and that's not helpful. Quit acting like you don't know how to do it. I've told you a thousand times how to do it. Now get out there and do it. Sometimes they need to be challenged, but criticizing is different than challenging. And we need to understand the difference between the two. Simply put, we want, to, we want our children to move forward from a position of strength. Um, you criticize them enough times, and they probably will move forward, at least a little bit. But they're moving forward from a position of weakness, and that doesn't give them that advantage that they need in order to be a success. And, you know, we're not trying to coddle them. Sometimes they need that criticism and harshness, sometimes. Um, But a child is not an adult. They can't do things like an adult does them. They struggle with things that might be easy things for us to do. And so challenging them instead of criticizing them is a very helpful step in getting them to the point where they can do the things that we think they ought to do. And I think it all comes down to spending enough, t- enough time with your kids, honestly, to know, um, to know them, to know their capabilities, drive them past what they think they're capable of, but not what they're capable of. Um, and there's a, there's a difference. Um, kids don't think they're capable of... of I, I shouldn't say that they don't think they're capable of too many things. They, they do, but there, there are things that they can do that they don't think that they're capable of that are not beyond their capabilities. So what, we're say, what I'm saying is we don't need to drive them past what they can actually do, but we need to drive them past what they think that they can actually do. And that's the difference. Criticism is negative. It makes things not enjoyable, and it only motivates them to try to please you. And, and again, I mean, I, I did a lot of things in my life. I made a lot of good spiritual decisions in my life, kind of based on the, uh, the desire to please my parents. I wanted them to be happy with the decisions that I made. I wanted them to be happy with the choices and with the things that I accomplished and so on. So there is, there is some, somewhat of those things, and that's where even, you know, my son, give me thine heart comes from, you know. You want to have your child's heart. You want them to want to please you. 
Uh, but when all you do is criticize, then that, that is, it, it's, you know, it's going to make them only do it because they're trying to make you happy, not because they're trying to accomplish things or trying to do it for God or for anybody else. They're trying to do it only for you. Challenging, on the other hand, drives them. Um, it, it's positive. It's enjoyable. It makes them want to please you, but it makes them want to succeed for themselves at the same time. And it makes them want to please God because that's what we're trying to teach them. I think we've all seen the effects of, of the outcome of ruling only with an iron fist. Um, it's my way or nobody's way. I mean, maybe people don't expressly come out and say that, but that's the way that they act. If you don't do it my way, it's, you know, you're out. Get out of here. We don't want you around this place, you know. Um, and a lot of times that breeds anger, it breeds resentment, and it breeds failure. Um, there has to be strictness. There has to be rules, and those rules have to be followed. But you can do it with a challenge instead of a criticism. And that's what I'm talking about, the difference there. How about we deal with our kids the way that God deals with us? Look what it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. And this is a verse that we use often in trying to share the gospel with somebody to show them how much love Jesus Christ actually has for us. He says this, but God commendeth his love. God gave his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. We know that. He died on the cross to give us that salvation, but he didn't just die on the cross. He died on the cross while we were still sinners. And of course, he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. We weren't alive at that point, but he knew we were coming, and he knew that we were going to be sinners, and he knew that we were going to need a Savior, and he died on the cross anyway. Uh, turn over to Psalm 69. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He says in Psalm 69 and verse 16, hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, who was before a blasphemer, this is Paul talking, and a, and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, look at all of these verses that talk about the mercy and the mercies and the compassion of Jesus Christ. And if he's willing to deal with us in that way, and certainly we ought to be willing to deal with other people in the same way, especially when it comes to our children. So the first thing is this, understand the difference between challenging and criticizing. That's the way to take our children from good to great. But here's the second thing, and that is to keep the conversation open. Keep the conversation open. When kids are familiar with an open dialogue, an ongoing dialogue that's encouraging and motivational, upping the ante, so to speak, or uh, special challenges, that, that comes with the territory. It's very easy to challenge your children when you have their heart. Back in Proverbs chapter 23, and he, go, he talks a lot about the heart to his son, and then he makes that kind of conclusion out of all of those things that he talked about, and he said, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. What's he talking about? 
if you have your child's heart, then you can motivate him in any way that you want to motivate him. He'll be willing to do what you want him to do and willing to follow the things that you teach him how to do because you've got his heart. So when they know that you're being positive and you're doing, doing it for them, instead of the way that a lot of it is done is with you know, selfish motivations, they'll gladly accept the challenge to get better. But that has to be an ongoing open dialogue and they have to know that you love them and that you have you know, their best interest at heart. The easy thing to do is to get frustrated, to clam up, to walk away, you know, um, that leaves the kid feeling worthless, it leaves them feeling frustrated, it leaves them feeling weak. When you explain to them what you expect out of them and then give them motivation to get there, you get what you're trying to get out of them and then they reap the rewards. And so keep the, co keep the conversation ongoing. One of the things that we've started doing, um, I don't know, quite a while ago now is once a week I take turns and take, take each one of them out. You know, so they get to go out every three weeks basically, but it's just me and them. And that's where we can talk about whatever they want to talk about, you know. Um, it's, life gets busy. We have a lot of things that are going on in life. And if you're not intentional about these things, then you miss up on the opportunities. And so once a week, it's Jackson's turn. The next week's is Alex. The next week is Riley's turn. And, you know, we just go up to Burger King and get a, a, a shake or, you know, something like that. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. It's not like you're going out to a fancy restaurant, spending a couple dollars and spending time with, your, you know, with them by themselves. It shows them that you that 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 you value them, but also that you're you're there to carry on the conversation and to hear what they have to say, and that you want to hear what they have to say. So keep that conversation open. The third thing is this: you have to give them the freedom to fail. Give them the freedom to fail. Uh, Sarah Blakely, she was an entrepreneur, a billionaire. In fact, she's still alive. She's the inventor of Spanx. I think that's something for women. I'm not even sure, but. She said that her father would ask her and her brother at the dinner table where they failed that day. And his point was that failure was not based on the outcome, but failure was based on their, their, whether or not they tried in the first place. And his whole point was basically giving them that freedom to fail. Did you try your hardest? Did you do everything you could? Yes, I did. Then you didn't fail. It didn't work out this time. It didn't work out the way that you hoped it did, but you didn't fail. So if, you're, if your kids haven't failed at something, then that means they haven't tried. And if they haven't, if they haven't tried, then they've never learned what failure is all about. And that failure is part of the real world. Failure is part of real life. Give your kids your blessing to fail and then release them from the fear of failing. And I'm not saying, oh, hey, congratulations, you failed, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Uh, because we want to try to keep them from failing in a lot of areas, but I'm saying that we should structure things in such a way that they're not afraid to come home after they tried something and it didn't work. Um, you know, Dad's going to be so mad at me. You know, I, I, whatever. I tried to dunk in a basketball game and I missed. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, how, how many kids get that opportunity? Probably not very many, but, you know, I, I, tried to, I tried a lemonade stand and I didn't make any money, and now I spent all this money on everything and it didn't work, you know? Giving them the freedom to fail, uh, you know, it, Dad, I was trying to pound a nail into the wall to hang this picture up, and I accidentally put the head of the hammer through the wall, you know? Well, the easiest thing to do is what? What in the world did you do that for? You know that you don't put a hammer through the wall, right? Look, we've all been guilty of it. I'm not, I'm not saying that I've never said something like that before, but, all right, what did you do wrong? 
What could you have done different? What would you do differently? All right, now let me teach you how to patch a wall. <laughs> you know, and that's what I'm saying, giving them the freedom to fail so that they're not afraid to come home, you know, shaking in their boots that, oh, no, I put a hole in the wall with a hammer. I wasn't trying to do it, but I did, and now what, you know? So failure with the right mindset is a great conduit for growth. And if all you do is protect your kids from failure, then they're never going to learn from their mistakes. And that's honestly exactly what we're doing uh, in many homes, but especially in the public school system today, right? Kids that don't do well in school, ah, just pass them, put them on to the next grade. You know what you're teaching them? You don't have to try. You're going to get promoted, right? Happens in business all the time, too. People get promoted that should never be promoted because they're, you know, a certain ethnicity or because they're a certain whatever, you know, we need, more, we need more black women in, you know, in management. So, well, you're a failure, but go ahead. You know, we need more white men in this area. So, well, you didn't do that job right, but go ahead, you know. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's what we're teaching our children today. And I, I was, I, you know, I, I'd like to say that, unfortunately, that's not the real world, but it's getting that way now um, until life slaps you in the face, and then it's not anymore. You know, but that's exactly what we're teaching our children by just, uh, you know, never letting them fail. Well, daddy's here to bail you out if you ever, you know, do a business venture and it doesn't work. You just let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll put more money in it for you. You're, 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 not, you're not giving them the freedom to fail. You're making sure that that never happens. And if they never feel the sting of having something fall apart, then they're never going to grow. A, a tech company billionaire, he's got, this, he's got a long foreign name. I don't even know how to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. But he was making a statement about how he doesn't let his kids have any screen time at all. No screen time except, you know, maybe the occasional time when they have a, a movie that they sit together and watch or something like that. And um, what he said in relation to that fits perfectly here. He said this. He said, I don't like this codependency of they need to rely on me and when they can't, I feed them a device because that becomes a babysitter. You go figure it out. Go outside, skin your knee, fall on the ground, lose at something, and then come back to me and we can talk about it as rational human beings. And I'll try to tell you why that's a good thing that that's happened to you. It's a perfect statement. You know, the funny thing is, too, um, and, and we try to, we, we very much limit the amount of screen time that our kids have as well because of that same reason. If all they're doing is sit in front of a TV or sitting in front of video games, or sitting in front of a, you know, a, a computer screen, or something like that, then, then they're not trying, and, uh, trying anything to even fail at it, you know? The, the funny thing is, like, Steve Jobs and a lot of these big tech company guys don't let their kids do anything like that. It's amazing, because they, they realize what it is and what it does to them, you know? Let them learn without the fear of wrath from you when they fail. Let, you know, let them fall and bump their head as a baby, you know, I mean, obviously, you're going to try to protect them in some ways. You don't want them to, you know, bash their head off the ground and be maimed for life. But that's how a baby learns how to sit up. You know, if they're sitting in bubble wrap, they're never going to learn how to sit up. This, this, this is true. My, uh, one of my younger brothers, um, Andrew, he's number six, I guess, came after Annie and Sarah. Sarah's my, my sister is here. Annie is just the one above her. And they were just getting to that age where they were, uh, actually, no, Annie, Sarah, and Rick. And then he came along. And so by the time he came along, there was six kids in front of him that were all able to take care of him. So you know what he did? He crawled around on his stomach, and he pointed. Eh. And everybody's like, what do you want? What do you want? Eh. 
oh, a cup? Oh, here. And he give him, He didn't talk until he was over, you know, well past two years old. He didn't crawl until he was right around that same age because he just, everybody handed him everything. He never had to learn how to sit up. He never learned, had to learn how to say cup so that somebody would give it to him, you know? And, and honestly, you know, one of the things that, you know, letting a baby fall over and hit his head is going to teach him how to sit up, you know? And, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, all right, you're six months old now. Time to learn how to ride a bike. Here you go. You know, I'm, I'm saying you, you got to, you know, be protective of them. But, you know, let them fall when they start walking. That's what helps them learn how to stand up on their own, you know? Let them fall over on the bike. That's what helps them learn how to ride. Let the lemonade stand fail. That's what helps them to do, you know, a better business practice the next time. What, what did I do wrong? What could I do better? Don't bail them out with a bunch of money when their business ventures fail. And that goes for everything that they do throughout life. Physical failure is good if it helps them build. And I think what's, what we need to do is get them out of that, you know, protective bubble and, and let them fail from time to time. Um, one of the other things that, that kind of goes right along with that, you know, I, I think germs are good for kids because it helps to build their immune system. Um, you know, some of, these, some of these parents today that are so, your kid can't do anything without wearing a pair of gloves and then using, you know, uh, hand sanitizer after he's done with it, they're always sick, you know? And you see that happening all the time. And one of the reasons is, well, oh, my, my kid can't get sick. I, I can't let him feel a, a stuffed nose. I can't let him feel, you know, what it must be like to sneeze once or twice, you know. Certainly can't have him cough because then that would be the end of the world, you know. So make sure everything's clean in the house for him. And, you know, make sure you wash off every doorknob every time somebody touches it. And, and what ends up happening is they have zero exposure to germs and then they're sick for the rest of their life, you know. And I'm not saying, you know, hey, kid, here's a spoonful of the dirt, you know. But dirt doesn't hurt them. Get outside and play around in the dirt. You know, it's it, good to see them come in with the dirt wiped all over their face. You know, that means they're getting healthy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and again, you know, and, and sometimes they might have to get sick. But you know what happens when you get sick? Your immune system builds so that the next time that, that same disease happens, you don't get sick from that disease. Uh, and, you know, obviously certain strains and different things, I, I get it, but, you know, the same thing goes for failure. It's not going to kill them. It'll just help make them stronger for the next time. And it's, you know, it, it's often our desire for us to look perfect to other people that keeps us from allowing our kids to fail. Well, if my kid fails, then everybody's going to look at me like I'm a bad parent. You know, if he comes in with a big scrape on his forehead because he fell off the bike. Everybody's going to wonder what I did wrong as a parent, you know, and I can't let anybody think about that, you know. We, we want everybody to think of us so well that we're afraid to let our kids fail because if they fail, well, then that's, you know, that's the end of the world, and it's not. They need to have that freedom to fail. Here's number four. Develop a family ethos that values initiative, challenge, and character, and ethos is kind of that word for um, you know, the family motivation, the family character, uh, the background, the backbone of your family, good to great is going to fail royally if it's a kids-only initiative. Um, make sure that excellence defines your family like a strand of DNA. You cannot make your kids something that you're not. And if you want your kids to go from good to great, then you have to be more than just good. You have to be great as a parent. If you don't hold yourself to those standards, not only can you not hold them to those standards, but they're, they're not going to hold themselves to those standards e easy, you know, uh, either. 
and it's funny that Brian actually said this today because I have these in my notes and I, had, you know, I was talking, I wrote this down, but my dad always used to say, you're a boots. You don't quit. You don't whatever. You know, you're a boots. You don't do these things, you know. Funny that Jackson got cracked in the forehead today with a piece of wood. Brian threw it and hit him in the forehead. And, and um, he, it, you know, he didn't, he didn't start bleeding. He didn't really cry or anything like that. And Brian said, it's a good thing you're a boots, you know. And that's funny that, that my dad used to say that about everything. You don't lie. You're a boots, and boots don't lie, you know. You, you're a boots. You don't quit. Now, you get back out there. My dad used to say that kind of stuff all the time, but, but what was he doing? He was showing us that that is what our family is like, and he's demanding that excellence out of us because of who you are as a family. And you're not just representing yourself, you're representing your family. And if you demand that as a family, then you're going you're gonna to very easily be able to demand that out of your kids. But if you're going to demand it out of your kids, you better demand it out of yourself. Right? Son, if I ever see you with one of these things in your mouth... Right? I mean, how many times have you heard that? Right? Son, don't ever start on these things. You're doing it. Why wouldn't he do it? You know, you cannot demand something out of them that you're not willing to do yourself. I say this all the time when it comes to being a pastor. If I want people to jump a foot, I have to jump three. And in a lot of ways, I've had to set my standards very high so that I can demand, I say demand, but so that I can preach from the word of God and say, this is what we ought to be doing. This is what you ought to be doing. I'm not going to tell you something that I'm not doing myself. And, and usually not doing more than what I'm telling you, the Bible says, that you ought to be doing. You know, when I talk about, you know, watching movies that have all kinds of stuff in it, I don't. I don't watch, if, if it has anything, we, we use a, a movie app called IMDB, International Movie Database. You can look it up. And any of the, just because it says PG on the cover doesn't mean that it's, oh, it's a great movie to watch. We don't watch anything that is rated higher than PG. If it's PG-13, we don't watch it. Even if it says PG, we go and look on this movie database and see what's in it. And if there's cursing in that movie, we're not going to watch it. Look, every once in a while, you're watching something that comes on and it happens to have a curse word in it or something like that. I mean, and then it, it, you turn it off, you know. But I'm not going to watch something intentionally that has that in it. And if I can find a place that tells me what's in it, then I'm not going to watch it. And how can I tell you that you shouldn't be watching bad things on television? How can I tell you that you shouldn't be looking at wrong things on the Internet if I'm doing those things myself? And that's exactly what I'm saying about us as parents in our families. If we're going to tell our kids you shouldn't be doing that, then you shouldn't be doing that. How can you demand that out of them if you're not demanding it out of yourself? And that's exactly what I'm talking about, about being a it's same thing as a strand of DNA in your family. It ought to be what runs in your family. Make character king in your family. Uh, if you develop character in your children, not, not only is it going to make them physically more productive, but it'll make them productive spiritually because character produces initiative, character produces challenge, character produces excellence. Develop that family ethos that values that initiative, that values that challenge, that values character. But if you're going to demand it out of your children, you better be demanding it out of yourself at the same time. You can't tell them to do something that you're not willing to do and expect them to do it. Here's number five. Model, and this kind of goes right along with that, but model self-evaluation, self-improvement, and godly living. 
You are your kid's role model and hero. Now, they might have other people that they look up to, you know, oh, Michael Jordan's the greatest player that ever lived, dead, sorry, you're not, right? You know, I want to be Michael Jordan on the basketball court. But you know who his real hero is? You. At the end of the day, you are his hero. And they watch everything that you do. I used to teach, um, I, I taught a, a lot of different classes in school, but one of the classes that I taught was English. And, and as part of that, they, they did writing. And when it comes to writing a good description, I used to try to teach the class all the time. Uh, <clears throat> don't tell me, show me. And, and by that, I mean this. Don't just describe the events. Show me the actions that are taking place and make me take myself there. Right? You can say it smelled good. But if you say something like the aroma of the apple pie wafting into the air, instantly you start thinking, boy, that, oh, you know the aroma of an apple pie. It doesn't just smell good. It's an apple pie that's baking, you know. And that's, that's one of the things that I used to try to teach the English class. Don't just tell me about it. Take me there. Show it to me. Make me put myself in that situation. Um, and that's great advice for parents, too. Don't just tell them how to live. Show them how to live. Um, they'll, they'll, they will more than likely become exactly who you are. Because unless they have somebody that's on the outside that is, that is a great role model to them, uh, someone that's stronger than you, they're not going to surpass your level of character. They're not going to surpass your level of holiness. They're not going to surpass your level of godliness. They want to be just like you, so they are going to become just like you. And if that doesn't scare you, then you're either dead or you don't care. Because... That puts a lot of pressure on us as parents. You know, um, rarely do kids go on to be greater in these areas than their parents do. Uh, it's because they, you know, they want to be you. They want to be you because you're their role model. So here's some principles to help you as a role model. Number one, be willing to be wrong. This is a hard one for us, you know. Um, you don't want to be seen as anything less than perfect, you know. Um, of course, you don't want to be wrong, but when you are, everybody already knows that you're wrong anyway, you know? So the best thing to do is just to admit it, apologize. You're being a good role model for your kids. Here's another way to be a good role model. Constantly challenge yourself to get better. Constantly challenge yourself to get better. Make New Year's resolutions. Do you have New Year's resolutions that you've set for this year? You know? Um, set goals for, for reading your Bible. Set goals for studying. Set goals for you know, physical goals. Those are, those are all good things. Even weekly plans are good goals to set, you know. And then make sure your kids know that what your goals are and what you're, what you're going toward and what you're aiming at so that you can, you know, hey, what are your goals for this week? What are your goals for this month? What do you want to accomplish this year, you know? You have to model those things. Here's another way to help you as a role model. What you allow in excess or in moderation, your kids will allow in excess. What you allow in moderation, your kids will allow in excess. And that's something that's so important because I say that, that most of the time your kids are not going to be more holy than you are. Your kids are not going to have more character than you have. Like I said, unless some kind of outside influence, somebody takes them under their wing and whatever else. Um, a little bit of compromise in an area will say to your kids that everything in that area is okay. Let's, let's use TV for an example, all right? You're watching a movie that has three or four curse words in it. What you're telling them is that all cursing is fine. 
right? You watch a movie that has a little bit of skin in it, and you're telling them that, that movies that have any of that kind of stuff in it is fine. Because what you allow in moderation, they're going to do in excess, right? You listen to music that, that's, you know, that's rock music, basically, with Christian lyrics or whatever else, and you might think that it's just, well, it's just a drum in there, you know, just a drum set. They're going to they're gonna be listening to rock music without Christian words to it. Because what you allow in moderation, they're going to allow themselves to do in excess. And that's, what I'm, that's why it's so important that as parents, we are role models to our kids. Not, not we should be. We are role models to our kids. It's just a matter of whether you're being a good role model or a bad role model. The last thing that I would ever want my kids to grow up and say is, boy, my dad taught me a whole lot of things not to do by the way that he lived. Right? I want them to say, man, my dad taught me a lot of things, not just by the stuff that he taught me, but the, things that, the way that he lived his life. The things that he did taught me how I ought to live. And what that breeds is not that they want to grow up and, oh, I want my dad to be happy with me. What that breeds is they want to grow up and they want to make themselves proud because they're just like their dad. And if their dad is not holy, their dad doesn't have character, their dad doesn't model these things, then what do they have to shoot for? Here's number six, volunteer as a family. Taking our kids from good to great. Take them out on visitation with you, you know? We go knocking on doors on Saturday. Bring them out. Care out loud, I guess, is a way that you could put it. You can say that you care about any number of things, but until you put into practice, until you put a plan into place and put that into action, there's no such thing as caring. But by going out on visitation, you're showing your kids that you care about the lost. Showing your kids that you care about getting people into church. By being involved at church, you show your kids where the importance lies. And by putting other people first, you're teaching them that others are, are more important than themselves, that, that, that others are more important than, than us, right? How do you spell joy? Jesus, others, you, right? You put Jesus Christ first, and then you put others second, and you put yourself last. Um, Gail Sayers wrote a book, and he's an old Chicago Bears football player, wrote a book called I Am Third. And he said, God's first, others are second, I'm third. That's where I fit in the line. Here's the last thing, number seven. I'm sorry, I have eight. Here's number seven. Avoid always using tangible rewards for achievement. That kind of sounds counterintuitive a little bit, but it's not. It's not at all. Our end game has to be excellence is its own reward. And what happens, you know, paying for grades can cheapen the achievement. You don't always have to have a tangible reward for accomplishing something, Right? And, and again, this is exactly what we're doing in our modern society. Everybody that participated gets an award, you know. Congratulations. Everybody on the entire team got a trophy, even though you got dead last, right? We're teaching them that, that by getting a participation trophy, everybody's a winner. And it's not always the case. And again, that's, that's part of never allowing them to fail. Um, but getting a piece of candy every time you, whatever, fill in the blank, says that, that candy is the only reward for a job well done, and that satisfaction of getting that job done is, is not enough, you know? You go sweep out the car, and, oh, good job. You swept out the car. Come in here and get a piece of candy. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to do that. You can do that, but, you know, looking at the car and seeing it clean, right? Nobody gives me a piece of candy when I clean my car, right? 
Why? Because the satisfaction of looking out there and seeing a clean car, for me, is enough. And that's the only way we're going to teach our kids those things, too. Um, that'll keep kids from volunteering to, to help widows or help out in an organization where they don't get paid because they expect something in return for everything that they do. And honestly, that's, that's honestly the problem with a lot of people in our society today, the work culture. Well, I should get paid $15 an hour for flipping a hamburger. No, you shouldn't. You're flipping a hamburger. You know, you get paid $7.50 an hour for flipping a hamburger. That's what it is. If you want more than that, then go get a better job and make something out of yourself. You know, um, you owe me $10 billion because I fell down in your store. I mean, that's, that's the whole culture that's being created by that whole idea that there's always a tangible reward for everything that happens, you know? Um, celebration is a different matter, but, but keep it within reason. When we were created to live at capacity, and when, when the kids get that, the idea becomes self-sustaining, meaning that there's, there is satisfaction in winning. You don't have to have a trophy to prove that you won, Right? There's satisfaction in getting a job done and, and, and accomplishing things. And that satisfaction, a lot of times, is the reward. And you don't have to have a reward put in your hand every single time you go do something, right? Well, I'm not going to volunteer. If they, don't, you know, if they don't recognize who I am and what I've done, why should I volunteer? That's what we're creating. And you don't have to have something every time you volunteer and accomplish something. The satisfaction of getting it done and seeing the, the fruits of your labor are enough sometimes. Nothing wrong with giving a reward here and there. You get all A's at the end of the year, great. You know, you get a reward. You did a good job. You worked the whole year to get it. But every time you get a single A on your report card doesn't mean that you need to get a $100 bill in your pocket, you know? Uh, there doesn't always have to be a tangible reward. Great job. You got an A on your report card. Now, doesn't that feel better than getting an F, <laughs> you know? And, and a lot of times, then that's, that's enough. Here's the last thing, number eight. Create a spiritual atmosphere in the home. And this is probably the most important of all the things that I talked about, about taking our kids from just being good kids to being great kids. You have to create a spiritual atmosphere in the home. Spiritual atmospheres are not going to create themselves. None of us are naturally spiritual. In other words, we all have a bent toward doing things that are wrong, not a natural desire to do things that are right. Now, once, you, once you're a Christian, once you're saved, then God gives you that desire. And yes, our desire does become, I want to do what's right. Not, let's go out and see what we can do to, you know, party or whatever else. But the devil is fighting as hard as he can to keep your family from being spiritual. The worst thing that he can allow is for a family to be spiritual. Because then when the kids grow up and they're living for God, then he loses. And obviously he's fighting against that because he doesn't want to lose. Um, but, you know, just look at all the things in the world that we're fighting today. So we have to set out purposefully to make our homes a spiritual place. They're not going to happen by accident. Um, but how do we create a spiritual atmosphere? I'm not going to take a lot of time to go through these things, but I'll give you a couple of them. Number one, pray with your kids often. Pray with your kids often. My wife does a tremendous, tremendous job with this. I'm gone a lot in the evenings with the police or with, you know, doing different things and I'll be working in the office, and the next thing you know, they'll be doing the family devotions out there, and I'll hear the kids praying, and she's praying with them, and I do it as often as I can, but pray with your kids often. Number two, use every opportunity to teach them spiritual lessons. You see somebody that makes a mistake, and they're paying the consequences for the mistake, and you say, that's why we don't, whatever it is. Use everything you can to teach them spiritual lessons. 
That's what creating a spiritual atmosphere in the home is. Number three, do everything you can to keep the filth out. We may not be bringing it in on purpose, but sometimes we don't do enough to stop it, right? How often would you allow somebody to come into your home and sit on your couch and just use any language that they want to while they're sitting on your couch? You wouldn't, right? You'd say, look, man, we have kids in here. Can, can you stop, please? You know, at least try to clean it up a little bit. But the TV's blaring full blast, and they're cursing and doing all kinds of stuff on that thing, and, and we don't care, right? So we may not be bringing it in on purpose, but we're not doing enough to stop it. And, and that's what I'm saying about a, 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 a spiritual atmosphere is not going to create itself. We have to create that spiritual atmosphere. And if that means limiting the things that you watch on television, look, you don't need to be wasting your time in front of that thing anyway. I have a TV. I'm not telling you, you know, go smash your TV or whatever else. But the things that we watch, basketball games, college basketball, I can't stand the NBA. A bunch of overpaid babies is what they are, you know. Football, sorry, JJ, I know you like the NBA, but. You know, I, I used to like it when Michael Jordan played. We, we watched all those games when Michael Jordan was winning the championships and everything else. It's different, but, you know, for the most part, you're not going to hear them cussing on a basketball game, you know, at least not yet. They don't. Football games, you know. The, the kind of things that you know that you can, for the most part, watch that are not going to be purposefully allowing those things into your home. Does that limit what we can watch? Absolutely. But you know what? I don't miss what I don't know I'm not watching. If I don't know it's there and I don't, you know, uh, I'm, I'm making sure that we're trying to create a spiritual atmosphere in the home, I don't even know what I'm missing. And you know what? You don't either when you're watching that stuff. We have a lot of fun as a family, and it's not around the television. You know, you miss out on a lot when the television becomes the center of the home. And, you know, do everything you can to keep the filth out. We'll leave it there. Number four, have family devotions. There's a lot of different ways that you can do that. There's an email that I get. Uh, it doesn't come every single day, but it's, it's called Leading from the Couch. And it's, it's a little devotional that comes in in an email, and it's a little, you know, it's just, just some things that you can use for the kids. And um, there's lots of good, we have lots of good devotional books uh, that are great for the kids that takes them through the Bible. And look, it'll help you understand the Bible more yourself. If you're teaching it, you have to know a little bit about it to be able to teach it, right? Um, I, I took English in, in high school and college. I took biology. I took history. I took all of those things, but I didn't really learn those things until I started teaching it because you have to really know it to be able to teach it. And when a kid asks you a question and you don't know how you got two plus two equals four, what are you up there teaching for, right? You have to understand it. You have to know it backwards and forwards for the most part. You have to do your research. You have to study more than, than what they're reading in the book to be able to answer some of the questions. And that's how you learn the Bible. You know how you learn the Bible? Teach it. It's a win-win. Your kids are learning the Bible, and you're learning it at the same time, and you're learning how to study, and you're spending time with God, and you're, I mean, look, when you create a spiritual atmosphere in the home, it's a win, 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 over and over for everybody, because you're all moving toward being more what God wants you to be, and you're all going from just being good to being great. God will not be satisfied with the way that we've raised our kids if we could have, been, could have done a better job and just didn't. 
And you might not know everything that you should do or should not do, but that's why you're here in church. And once you hear it, you're responsible for it. And God's not going to be pleased with us if we could have done it better and didn't because we just chose not to. Um, there are things that I'm sure I'll regret doing when my kids are grown, but I want to do everything that I can right now to help them be what God wants them to be now, but as they grow up. I want to guard my testimony. I want to live spiritually. I want to keep my attitude and my temper in check. I want to deal kindly with my children. I want, my, I, I want God to be pleased with me and with my family. You've probably heard it said before, but good is the enemy of the best. Is good good? Absolutely. That's why it's called good. Well, good is the enemy of the best. And if you could have the best kids and you only have good kids, then that's not pleasing to God. God's not satisfied with that. I want to raise children for his glory that are not just good kids, but that are great kids. Not so that I can say, oh, look at my kids. But I'm trying to raise them for God's glory. And if I have kids that all grow up and live for God, then guess who gets glorified in that? God does. Because now they're going to go out and they're going to win souls for Jesus Christ. They're going to go out and hopefully have families that are going to be raising godly kids. And there's no telling the impact that can have. And guess who gets the glory for all of that? God does. He's the one that gives us the ability to raise our kids in the first place. So taking our kids from good to great. It's not so that we can say, look at my great kids. It's so that we can say, look at my great God. And look, what he's, look what he's done through me. And that's what we want to try to create. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the time we can spend together tonight. Thank you for the families that we do have in our church, God. I know that every one of them wants to have kids that are not just good, but that are great kids and that you can use in a great way. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to create the atmosphere in our home that would lend itself to that. The devil is fighting every way that he can against those things, and he's going to try to make it difficult to find the time to do those things. He's going he's to find opportunities to get things into the home that are not pleasing to God. He's going to do everything he can, but God, you're greater than he is. And the Holy Spirit living us is greater than, than the spirit that's in the world. And so I pray that you'd help us to yield to the Holy Spirit's power in our families and in our own lives so that we can be what you want us to be. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name.